This is a show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve Him and their neighbor, for whom the words of the Creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is a show for those like you and me who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. Well, I, I attempted to avoid this topic. Um, I, I like very much to avoid topics of, of immediate interest because one, they're typically a flash in the pan. They're here and they're gone. Um, and I think that there are things that are better to focus our attention on than the immediate controversies of the day. And there are plenty of people out there who are going to make these comments about the particular controversies of the day that are more suited to it than I am. And so I, I tend to avoid topics that that pop up and grab everyone's attention and grab social media and grab everyone's angst. But every once in a while, those topics uh, and the conversation surrounding them are just enough of a um, a nuisance in my life or or a, a burr under the saddle that I feel compelled to at least weigh in um, and bring some sense of uh, maybe calm where there isn't calm. And specifically over the last few weeks as we've been talking about uh, the, the increasing polarization, there is... Uh, uh, I think that this conversation is going to fall in line with that because when there is such increasing polarization, I think it's even more incumbent upon us as ministers of reconciliation, as uh, people who are the uh, the current incarnation, the, the body of Christ, I think it's more incumbent upon us to find those places of uh, of building bridges and of bringing calm. And so we are going to be talking today about the new um, letter from the CDF, the Fiducia Supplicans. This is a, a document on the pastoral meaning of blessings. Sometimes when we have that Latin name out in front, we can uh, just call it by that and forget what it's about. And this is not the first time that we have had a document helping us understand a specific topic on the meaning of, uh, for instance, what John Paul II had on the meaning of Christian suffering, uh, Sal, uh, Salvifici uh, Dolores, which is a beautiful document. And the church often gives us these kind of clarifying meditations on the meaning of and then topic. And so today I want to talk about this on the meaning of blessings, because I think that there are some, there's a lot of conversations I see swirling around that are dealing with, again, a single thought or, or an assumption around the single thought, rather than looking at the document and saying, what is the church trying to teach us in this moment? Now, I don't want to do this by myself, and so I'm going to bring on someone who is immense in her capacity for Irenic discussion and for looking at with love and what the church is actually saying. Uh, that, of course, is the indomitable Katie McGrady. She <laughs> is a speaker, author, podcast host, and host of the Katie McGrady Show on the Catholic Channel on Sirius XM 129. Uh, she talks typically about pop culture, current events, Catholic news, and how to live a life of abundant joy, which is right up my alley. And she's a frequent guest on CNN whenever there's a big story with a Catholic topic. Of course, this was one. Uh, I think there's this thought of who can we get? <laughs> who, who who do we know? Who who can we get that's going to give us the salacious story? And of course, Katie, whenever she goes on, as always, is 
incredibly thorough, incredibly erratic. Katie, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. So when I when I first saw all of the controversy about this document, <laughs> of course, I, I knew what it was going to be about. I knew what the argument was going to be. And I completely understand where some people may be confused uh, and where there may be some distress. So this is a document that uh, in talking about the meaning of Christian blessings is looking at, is it possible? Is the church capable of providing a blessing for people who are in irregular situations, irregular mm-hmm. uh, relationships? And this goes for all irregular relationships, although they do specifically uh, include those who are in same-sex relationships as part of that consideration. But this goes beyond that specific scenario to anyone who is in a, a relationship that is not a marriage and not a marriage by the church's standard. So this would be anyone who is uh, in a, a second union without having the first union uh, uh, annulled. This is someone who is uh, cohabiting or uh, is engaged sexually with someone who with whom they are not married. Any of these people would fall under this situation. And so there are two different kinds of blessings that get mentioned here, the liturgical blessing and the pastoral blessing. And and I wonder, Katie, if you can help break out for us, what are those two different blessings and Mm -hmm. why does it matter that that there are distinctions? Yeah. I mean, I I think distinction is the key word here. And and as you were talking, I I was checking my email because Cardinal Muller, as of when we're recording this just a few minutes ago, published an essay kind of unpacking his own thoughts concerning um, fiducia supplicans. I think let's zoom out for a moment. A a blessing is not an affirmation. I think we use that terminology. I give you my blessing. Um, And we we use it because that's just kind of the way that colloquially the word has has fallen into common use. And in the sense of the church, a blessing is, is a supplication, right? It's we ask you almighty God, it's it's never a priest saying, my power alone as an ordained minister is what blesses you. It's the power of God. And, and, and you know, I'm not going to try to use magical language here, but like the priest is almost a conduit for us, right? Like helping us understand that power. And there is a blessing within a sacramental context, i.e. the blessings that we receive, you know, an absolution prayer in the sacrament of confession or think of, of say, at the mass when the couple in the Our Father uh, for their wedding is, is given a special blessing of the couple. Funnily enough, during our wedding, the priest completely forgot to do that during the <laughs> Our Father. And so we got we got it at the end. And it actually, it was a beautiful moment where like we've said our vows, we have received communion together, and then we got to go right back up to the front and Father gave that special blessing mm-hmm. for us in a sacramental context, right? Like we are a man and a woman and we are getting married in the eyes of the church. And then there are blessings of, of an object or of a, a moment, right? So a Good example. My husband had a CT scan this morning to determine what kind of surgery he can have next week. And so last night, a priest friend of ours swung by the house and gave him a blessing. It was not the anointing of the sick. It was just a quick blessing, like for Mm -hmm. safe travels to the CT scan and that we get the result that we want. And I think sometimes that might seem almost superstitious, right? Like, oh, what does a blessing do? And I think a blessing is a moment, especially a blessing of, say, an object or of a particular circumstance, or of an individual who maybe is struggling, it's a it's a moment of being seen by the church, right? Like, Father, 
would you bless this rosary that was given to me at this pilgrimage location? And so Father blesses it. And it's not like now all of a sudden this thing is like some special talisman. It just, it holds a deeper meaning for us as we acknowledge God's power. Well, and so recently I was in Rome uh, Mm -hmm. and we were able to go to uh, San Clemente on on a particular feast day, on the feast of uh, St. Ignatius of of Antioch, who's buried there in the church. Yeah. Um, And I had my son with me, my my wife and my infant son were with me, and my son is Aidan Clement. And of course, Aidan is a, a um, an Irish name, Aidan of mm. Lindisfarne. And Clement, of course, is Clement of Rome. We're in that 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 church. Of course, that church is run by the Irish Dominicans. And so we mm. have the Irish and the and the the Rome connected together. And so I asked the priest there if he would give my son in that place on that day, give my son a blessing for both his Irish and his, his Roman names. And of course it was incredibly meaningful. And I think it goes back to what you're saying there. It's that moment of being seen Mm. and in, in a particular way. Yeah. And that's, I think that might be where the rub is here because fiducia supplicans it says at the end, and in somewhat of a snarky way, which I, I couldn't help but chuckle when I saw like, and this will be the last we say about it. Like, we're not going to offer further clarifications. This is what we're writing and do what you will with it, which on the one hand might mean, okay, there's going to be vast interpretations of this, just as there have been vast interpretations of lots of things that have come from Rome in the past few years. Or there will be a complete ignoring of it in some parts of the world and a radical implementation of it in others. But I think at the heart of it, and maybe it's just my Pollyannish attitude towards the church, but is this a document that is trying to articulate to people, the church wants you to come to her for mm-hmm. a moment to be seen? And I cannot, I cannot hate on that. Yeah. Um, I can ask maybe some questions concerning, well, does that blessing then come with a conversation exhorting a couple in an irregular situation to seek regularity. I can ask, is that going to come with an invitation to confession? Is it is it going to come with further pastoral care? Because the church must always be very careful to ensure that we're not just willy-nilly doing things, but that we are intentionally walking with an individual, even if it might be in the wrong direction, a la the road to Emmaus, eventually bringing them back into the heart of the church. Ooh. I think where we're going to see confusion is, is this, and this is what Cardinal Muller has said in his essay, is this creating an entirely third type of blessing? And is that contradictory to doctrine of the past? Well, I think that's something we have to dig into. We have mm-hmm. to explore. But I, I think at the heart of this, it was an opportunity to show people, no, no, you can come. We want you here and we want to walk with you. Yeah. Uh, this is a um, my, my very first thought when this all came up. And specifically the, the idea of blessing people in irregular situations. And I'm going to mm-hmm. Move it out of relationships and into irregular situations. Yeah, situations, yeah. Um, when I was coming into the church, uh, I'm a convert. Came in in 2011. I uh, I was attending mass regularly, um, and then I was still working at another church. So you know, it, it was it was a little awkward. But I was coming to church regularly, and even going, uh, the the chancery was right around the corner for me. So I would go to daily mass at the chancery, and I remember all of those times um, where. You, we get to the prayer and we say, um, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but mm-hmm. only say the word and my soul shall be healed. And I really kind of, uh, I grabbed a hold of that as a prayer because I knew that I could not receive communion in that moment, but I knew mm-hmm. that the time was coming when I would be able to. I knew that I was moving towards something that hopefully in that moment, my soul would be healed. 
And even in that situation where I was not able to receive the Eucharist, I could go forward for a blessing. Yeah. yeah. And that in that moment where I was in an irregular situation in relation to, to the church, mm-hmm. the church was still offering me her blessing because I was moving toward the church and I had a desire for the church. Like, let's say mm-hmm. that someone might be in that place for years and years and years, but they're still there in the pew, desiring to be with the people of God, progressing towards grace. Yeah. And I think that that's a, 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 a disposition we ought to allow for, because even if I don't, even if there isn't a conversation at the end of mass, so I noticed you had your, you didn't receive, you received a blessing. Mm-hmm. What are you doing to regularize that situation? Right. Even if that conversation doesn't happen, the mere process of being there with the church we trust is going to have that salvific effect over time that people are mm-hmm. going to be drawn more and more as they are there and as they are seen drawn more and more into uh right relationship with God and with the church. Yeah. I think there's, there's be- become this popularized attitude and I don't, I don't know where it comes from other than the internet has burned our brains <laughs> that we have to gatekeep God's grace. Yeah. That God's grace is limited. And I think it's a limiting understanding of the Lord. Oh, well, there's only so much to go around and you're only worthy of it if. And I, in my understanding and from my education and, and from my own anecdotal personal experience, God's grace is abundant and there's plenty to go around. And in fact, it should be something that we invite people to. And when we don't, I actually think we're avoiding the gospel mandate to go and make disciples of all nations because to make a disciple is to walk alongside a person and bring them closer to the heart of the Lord. But if I then look at them and say, oh, no, but there's like a section of God's heart. There's a little chamber that's only for those who are following the rules. There's a little chamber of God's heart that's only available to those who who worship a certain way or who say the right things. Then what I have basically said is God is bound by these rules of my own creation. I always go back to a conversation I had with a friend who years and years ago Um, She was incredibly distressed because her niece was not baptized. Uh, And it was like causing a ton of consternation among her family because other children in the family were baptized. But this one particular baby, by the time had come along, the family had left the church. And so this niece was not baptized. And she was like, I'm just so stressed. Like, I'm just so worried. Like, they don't even desire baptism for her. Like, what if something happens? What if she gets sick? I mean, it's all of those anxieties and fears. And I I looked at her and I, I immediately recalled a conversation I had in college with a very trad professor of mine um, who said, you're bound by the sacraments. God is not. That's right. And God's grace is not something that he he parcels out just based upon what you do or don't do correctly. Now, that doesn't mean that we run from the sacramental, oh, God can fix it. No, if you know the proper means, if you know the path and you choose to walk away from it, well, okay, there's where we need to have some correction. I think what we're not taking into account is that irregular situations whether that's a relationship, whether that's a divorce, whether that's a same-sex union, whatever that irregular situation might be, the heart of the individual in that relationship and situation must be considered. And if, if one thing has been very evident in 10 years of Pope Francis's pontificate, it's that he speaks in a very Latin American way. It's not linear in a way that especially European and American minds would want. And he has an intense concern for that person at the margin whose heart feels cold to Holy Mother Church. And so 
I'm often reminded of something that was said to me in 2020 when many conversations were happening surrounding the Black Lives Matters movement and and DEI and, and wokeism and all these conversations where there was a conversation happening and I expressed, oh, I don't understand. Can you explain it to me? And, and very lovingly, a friend of mine looked at me and said, it's not for you. This was not for you. This was a conversation you got to watch, you got to listen to, but this this wasn't for you. This was for somebody else. And I think with fiducia supplicans, there's an immediate, well, every single thing that comes from the Vatican is something that we have to analyze and rip apart and look at the applications of. And we do need to do those things. But maybe at first reading, hearing that you can approach the Lord, you can approach the church for a blessing and in a regular situation, and you're in a regular situation, well, then that wasn't for you. That right. that wasn't a definition of a blessing for you. And that's not the kind of blessing that you're looking for. And so to gatekeep it from someone else, I think we have to really examine our motives if there was immediate anger about that and instead take to prayer maybe what the Holy Father is trying to say to us about that person who feels very distant from the church and what this could do to bring them back and and who wouldn't want that. Yeah. Uh, and, and the things that you're mentioning are actually brought up in the document. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm looking at... Um, here in section 25, where it says uh, that we have to uh, avoid this, uh, uh, the shy away from a pastoral praxis that's fixed on the nature of certain doctrinal or disciplinary schemes, especially uh, where they can uh, lead to something other than evangelizing. One uh, mm -hmm. analyzes and classifies others instead of opening the door to grace, one exhausts his energies in inspecting and in verifying. Uh, instead of being this mm -hmm. this bridge, there's also a quote in there from uh, Saint Teresa of the Child Jesus that's that while your sin is not infinite, but God's grace is infinite. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that uh, to the to the point of this conversation not being for you, I think that it's not necessarily uh, a, a bad thing to read the documents that come out of the church, but this document particularly is for priests mm -hmm. who are going to be yep. offering those blessings. This is this is guidance for them. And we, the faithful, are observing this conversation because of the nature of our media today that we have access to everything. Mm -hmm. But oh, for a time when the church could have internal conversations that we didn't need to necessarily be a part of. Yeah. I mean, I my first thought when I read it the first time through was, I mean, how many times I have been in circumstances or situations at a conference or traveling, uh, or even, you know, walking the streets of New York with a Franciscan friar of the renewal. And there's an asking for a blessing. Mm -hmm. um, and never, not once in my life has the priest stopped and then proceeded to question that person. Okay, who do you live with? Uh, yeah. Where'd you tithe last month? When's the last time you went to confession? It's an immediate almighty guide. We ask your blessing upon this individual. I've been the recipient of those blessings before. It's 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 whether at a first mass or wherever it might be. I don't think there was necessarily a let me let me put it this way. Some priests saw this and the commentary was, well, why did we need this? Like we were already yeah. doing this. And and I I was like, you're correct. Maybe you already were. But this was also, I think we have to remember in a in a global Catholic perspective, in some places of Africa that was not happening. And in fact, the pushback to the document is, well, we're not doing this because there is such a, a rabid homophobia in some areas. There's also, and I didn't even remember this until last night when I was reading an article, there's many 
polyamorous and polygamous polygamous relationships in Africa that would be considered irregular situations. And yeah. so there's now like further questions. I was like, oh, I didn't even consider that. On the other side, you've got some European dioceses, mainly in Germany, who have actually formalized rituals of blessing for same-sex unions, which is not right. allowed. And so this document seeks to say, see the person, see the individual, and also, hey, like you can't go changing the definition of marriage. So was it also a corrective document and an instructive document? Mm-hmm. Little old me sitting in Lake Charles, Louisiana, yeah, it's my job to read it. But I, I was getting text messages from friends who were incredibly distressed. And I said, this does not change the definition of marriage. This does not affect you at all in your living of the faith right now. But it might encourage someone to come home to the church. And we should want that. Uh, and just for for sake of clarity, because mm-hmm. we use that term a lot when when we're when we're dealing with people who are distraught, saying this doesn't change anything. This doesn't change anything. This doesn't change church teaching. But like this one, it not only doesn't change anything, it definitively upholds and restates the church's teaching on on marriage. It says more about the definition of marriage and the not changing of it than it does about what this new yeah. type of blessing is. And what will happen is we fixate on on the the novel component because it is new. Right. Without seeing the full context. I mean, and I said this on CNN and and funnily enough, you know, the two hosts on the CNN morning show are both Catholic. Oh. I don't think people realize that. Yeah, like very much so. And and so they didn't come in unaware of the circumstances and the situations and asked a very pointed question about how this is maybe causing some consternation. And and I said then, and I'll say it again, you're going to see what you want to see mm-hmm. and your biases will rise to the top. And I think that's a moment of of prayer. There were some people who were annoyed this came out the week before Christmas. Like this is all anybody's be thinking about the final week of Advent. And and at first I was a little like, oh, you know, Pope Francis gave us some internal church debates for Christmas as a little treat, you know, like, because <laughs> this is all anybody's going to be talking about for the final seven days of getting ready for the birth of Jesus. And then it occurred to me, the birth of Jesus mm-hmm. is a celebration of joy. The birth of Jesus is a reminder that God can make himself very small for us to, to approach him. And, and maybe somebody, and I'm specifically thinking of a handful of, of LGBTQ people that I, I know, Maybe somebody saw this and thought, maybe I can go to church this weekend. Yeah. Maybe they're not ready to receive communion again. Maybe they're, they're going to avoid the confessional. I doubt they'll leave their partners. But maybe something in the back of their mind was, I can go sit in that church and come closer to the grace of God and something could change in their life. I, years ago, I left a daily mass. Like I, This was like 2012, 2013, when I still had the freedom to go to daily mass before children. <laughs> And I was walking out of daily mass. It's like 615 in the evening. And this guy that I've known for years was walking up with a cat carrier. And I kind of did a double take because it's not something you see every day. Somebody walking to the church with an animal carrier. And there was a cat inside and his girlfriend was standing next to him. And I I knew Nick. I've known Nick for years. and, And I knew that he and his girlfriend lived together. And they came up and father was standing there greeting people after daily mass. And they explained to father that their cat was sick. And that they'd done everything that they could and they just wanted their cat to to be blessed. And a part of me kind of like internally chuckled, like, okay, who gets their cat blessed? But, you know, it's your pet and you love them and this is something that you care about. And like they did not hide the fact that they like share this cat, that they live together, that this is their shared animal pet. And father did not hesitate. He blessed the cat. He just asked that the cat stay in the carrier. He blessed the cat. 
And then he put his hands on their shoulders and he blessed them. And I remember hearing him say to give them strength to follow the will of God, because I like made a mental note, like what a great pastoral moment from this, what some people would call a grumpy old priest. And, And yet he totally met the moment in this really loving way. About six months later, he volunteered for my core team program. And I just casually asked him, I was like, hey, are you still dating so-and-so? And And it wasn't that I was going to prevent him from volunteering for my core team program if he was still living with his girlfriend. But I just wanted to know so that we could maybe have a conversation about like, hey, like that might be a cause of scandal among our young people. Or like somebody might ask you, like, why can you live with your girlfriend? And he said, oh, yeah, we're actually. And he he said he was like, this is a secret, but I I just got a ring. And she moved out a couple of months ago uh, because we want to do this right. Yeah. And. I, I immediately thought back to that blessing from Monsignor Gaddy after mass and thought like, I don't know, maybe there was something that tugged at their heartstrings where they thought, you know, like we want to be close to the church. And if we're living together before we're married, that's not doing that necessarily for whatever that reason might have been. It could have just been cheaper rent, but like right. they moved out, they got engaged and now they're happily married. I don't think the cat is with us any longer, but they have kids. So like, <laughs> yeah. you know, but, but I, th- I think back to that moment of like something might have stirred in their heart. We don't know every circumstance these blessings will be used in. We don't know the internal conversations and maybe even some internal conflict that will happen. But maybe we could have a hopeful attitude in the final week of Advent about the healing that could occur rather than sit in a negative Nelly space of, oh, this is destroying everything. And doctrinally, we're we're going to be a muddled, schismatic church. I, in the grand scheme of things, the church has gone through far harder and more yeah. difficult doctrinal discussions and debu- debates and like popes that people don't like. I, I think, I think we can weather this one guys. Like I, yeah. I, I think we should just kind of breathe. Well, and this is a, a pastoral blessing specifically. And so there are mm-hmm. going to be some pastoral considerations in play The and the priest is maybe going to respond differently. If someone comes up and asks for a blessing that he hasn't seen or that he sees rarely, as opposed mm-hmm. to someone who seems to be, uh, coming often and and not really seeking affirmation and not seeking blessing, right? Right. He's going to be able to use his discernment in terms of when and and what kinds of blessings are appropriate. Yeah, I mean, if if two men in a civil union show up to the church in tuxedos and approach Father after mass when he's still yeah. in his chasuble and stole. Well, no, the, the document very clearly states there can't be anything concerning that yeah. um, because that would be, one, a cause of scandal, two, contrary to what the church says and does and teaches. Mm-hmm. I suspect, and again, maybe it's Pollyanna here, but I suspect this will be men and women who have felt far from the church, who felt like they can't even approach at communion time to receive a blessing then or have been terrified of going into the confessional for fear of what will greet them in there that this would be a small step forward in seeing God's love for them. Yeah. Now, again, maybe there will be some places and there have already been some more popular priests in the New York Times and elsewhere who have made some show of things because they they want to say that this is a massive progressive thing right. that's occurring. But I suspect that it's going to be more of a, of a desire to be close to the heart of the church and of the Lord. Yeah. We're talking today with Katie McGrady, host of the Katie McGrady Show on Sirius XM. We're talking today about the new Vatican document, Fiducia Supplicans, in light of the incarnation. 
There's a lot said about this new document on the pastoral meaning of blessings, and I'd love to know what your thoughts are. Come be a part of the ongoing conversation over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls on threads. The handle is at step outside the walls and don't go anywhere because there's much more to this conversation right after this break. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, TL. We're talking today with Katie McGrady, host of the Katie McGrady Show on Catholic Channel Sirius XM 129. Talks about pop culture, current events, and Catholic news, and how to live a life of abundant joy. If you've never heard it, you should go hear it. It's joyous. Um, We're talking about Fiducia Supplicans, which is the new document out of the Vatican, regarding the meaning, the pastoral meaning of blessings. Of course, this is stirring up quite a bit of interest and controversy, and we've talked in this first segment about um, the the evangelistic nature, the the welcoming and merciful nature, and building relationship, building bridges. Uh, We're going to get into now probably the most controversial part (laughs) of this document. We'll see if we can do it without getting canceled. That this is this is going to be fun, uh, Katie. There's a spot in number thirty-one that I'm going to read, um, mm-hmm. and then hone in on a specific section that I've heard quite a bit of consternation about, and we're going to explore that question within the horizon outlined here. This is of of blessings in a pastoral way, the possibility of blessing for couples in irregular situations and for couples of the same sex the form of which should not be fixed ritually by ecclesial authorities to avoid producing confusion with the blessings proper to the sacrament of marriage. In such cases, a blessing may be imparted that not only has an ascending value going up to the Father, but also involves an invocation of blessing that descends from God upon those who, recognizing themselves to be destitute and in need of his help, do not claim a legitimation of their own status, but who beg that all that is true, good, and humanly valid in their lives and in their relationships be enriched, healed, and elevated by the presence of the Holy Spirit. These forms of blessings express a supplication that God may grant those aids that come from the impulses of His Spirit, what classical theology calls actual grace, so that human relationships may mature and grow in fidelity to the gospel— that they may be freed from their imperfections and frailties, and that they may express themselves in the ever-increasing dimensions of divine love. That's that's the segment. It's beautifully, beautifully written. Yeah. Where I hear people getting antsy mm-hmm. is in this statement up towards the top, all that is true, good, and humanly valid in their lives and in their relationships be enriched. Mm. Um, because people would say, well, what could be valid in an invalid situation? And and I want to hone in on that because mm. I feel like so often, specifically maybe it's the the puritanical influence of the foundings of America, but we tend to think about every relationship in the terms of sex and, and mm-hmm. sexual relationships. And um, we, even to the point I heard it said, 
uh, once that we have lost the ability to have strong friendships because of the the concern that they may be viewed in some kind of sexual way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I want to come to that and say, let's explore this question of what can be humanly valid when there is an element of of sexuality or sin that's part of that relationship. Let's explore mm-hmm. that some. Mm. I mean, that's a great, it's, it's a, it's one of the best run on sentences the Vatican has ever given us. Um, and they have given us plenty. And they've given us a lot because what I had concentrated on in that sentence uh, was that the people approaching for the blessing first recognized themselves as destitute yeah. before they recognized anything that was humanly valid and true and good. Um, I think we have to recognize that a, a person Many of the LGBTQ people that I know and and have relationships with and friendships with would never look at you and say that their sexual identity is the only thing about them that you would need to know, yeah. but that it's the thing that the world has invited them to share first. And and in some of my conversations with the good folks at Eden Invitation, mm-hmm. um, which really does seek to walk alongside LGBTQ people in a, a what they call a side B lifestyle in the sense of we don't fall into what the world tells us we should do. Your feelings are valid. Your desires are valid. Act upon them. Love is love. There's this recognition of, well, what's humanly valid about me is that I'm made in God's image and likeness. Mm-hmm. What's valid about me is that I see in other people the image and and likeness of God. And even if there is an attraction, even if there is a desire to have a a, a physical and intimate relationship with another individual, that I can walk alongside that person without that and still have a valid, life-giving, fruitful, what they would call a side B friendship, a companionship. Who who among us would deny a companion to another? And, And there are people in the history of the church I think who have expressed and talked about the 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 best part of a marriage, the best part of a, a human relationship that is one rooted in, say, a romanticism or a desire to procreate or whatever qualification you want to give to a, a, a relationship between a man and a woman, that the best part of marriage is not sex and that the best part of a relationship is not the physicality, but is about the companionship and the doing life with another person. And I'm, I'm friends with, I, I obviously will not name them or even give indications of where they happen to be in the world because I don't want to dox anybody. But I have, I have two very good friends um, who are in what they would call a side B companionship relationship. Um, they live together. They share expenses. I believe they're on one another's health insurance under a civil union, but they, they, do, not, um, they do not have sex. They are a chaste gay couple, which is kind of an oxymoron in the year of our Lord 2023. And so they would approach this and say, like, the humanly valid component of their friendship and relationship is that they recognize the church's teachings concerning human sexuality, but just desire to not be alone and recognize that the not being alone doesn't depend upon sex. It depends on that we build one another up. We're there to, to communicate with one another. We're there to support one another. And in the same way that a, a heterosexual couple might challenge themselves with chastity from time to time or might struggle with being chaste in times of, say, abstaining so that you avoid children at the particular moment or who are, are struggling with a health challenge, whatever it might be. I think we can't just automatically assume things because right. the world has painted pictures that, well, obviously they must be sleeping together or obviously the only reason they're together is because they want to have sex. Is it possible? Is it possible that LGBTQ people just long for the same things 
that a heterosexual person would long for, which is to be less alone in the world. Mm-hmm. And and I hope that doesn't get me canceled. But I my first assumption when I see a married couple that is heterosexual, I guarantee my first thought when I see them is not wonder when the last time they had sex is like, that'd be weird. But yet yeah. we automatically assume that of of a gay couple of a same sex union. Because I think of the way the identity conversation has been, well, you are those sexual feelings and desires and sexuality. So if we can remove that, we see person first and we see what's humanly valid is they're made in God's image and likeness. And then maybe this blessing would be the push to chastity. I I saw one criticism of this from a, a gay Catholic who said, if you read it closely, this is actually the Vatican saying, pray the gay away. And I was like, wait, what? And so I asked them what they thought, and they said it was number 31. And they said, that entire paragraph just proves to me that this is a chance for priests to pray for gay people to be chaste. And I disagree with that. And I was like, well, thank you for sharing your thoughts. I obviously disagree with your take on that and disagree with what you think this is trying to do and disagree with you thinking that that would be a wrong thing to do. That's a, a big roundabout way of saying that passage is going to be dug into. Oh, yeah. Um And since we started recording, our Archbishop Aquila from Denver has already issued a statement that I thought was actually very well pointed that these types of blessings should be done with discretion, preferably privately to avoid scandal and confusion. And it's it's because of 31. Mm -hmm. And and like you said, it's going to be. It's going to be dug into quite a bit. Okay, that was my attempt to cancel myself. Now your turn. (laughs) Well, so now I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna step it up a little bit, right? one of the thoughts that that I have recently kind of been uh, processing uh, it, along those same lines of what is essential to human relationships and mm. and how do we how do we define things? I started asking myself the question of how would I respond in my assumptions and in my judgments about uh, and I have I have some friends who would fall into this about uh, three or four people mm. who are living together because they were starting a new religious community. In that situation, there there is support and companionship and the ability to live out an an authentically human experience with others that we would praise and we would rejoice in and we wouldn't have any thoughts of sexuality about. And I I feel like there's a difference um, between a person who is showing up in the tuxedos and reveling in their current condition mm-hmm. that I don't think would would potentially, and, and of course this is up to the priest in his discernment, I don't think that that would necessarily give off the vibes of I'm asking for God to be present in my life in a way. Yeah. That that's, there's a difference between asking for the graces of God and asking for a stamp of approval. And that's up for the discernment of the priest in that moment. But But I think that we have to begin recognizing what is what are the seeds of the gospel what are the good beautiful and true things in everyone's life uh, even if that person may be living in a way that's contrary to the teaching of the church because mm. it's those seeds of what's good and beautiful and true that are going to be the the thing that potentially can blossom into uh, into great grace, right? Mm-hmm. You're not going to get great grace out of out of the the thorns. You're going to get great grace out of the good, the beautiful, and true. And it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance, not the finger pointing and exclusion. Yeah, that's my I mean, attempt think, to get canceled. Yeah, no, I I mean I think that's a that's a great. We assume a lot of our LGBTQ brothers and sisters. 
um, that we don't assume of heterosexual people. And I think it's because it's so easy to misunderstand. Um, it's so easy to point fingers. Everybody likes a boogeyman. Uh, it's so easy to have kind of a, a pet project in the church of, okay, well, this is a problem to be fixed. And and I think a lot of heavy lifting is being done by the recognizing themselves to be destitute in need of his help, do not claim a legitimation of their status. Right. If a couple showed up in the tuxedos, if a couple showed up in two wedding dresses, if a couple said, Father, come bless us right after we sign the papers at our civil union, all things prohibited in this document, well, th- there's no desire to not claim legitimation. In those moments, they are asking it to be legitimized. So a lot of this pastoral discernment that will unfold would would require, and this is not all that much of a departure from Amoris Laetitia a few years ago, right? Like require a priest to know the couple and to want to say, okay, here's what's going on in your life. Um, a few years ago, there was a couple in my diocese, um, uh, a, a lovely uh, LGBTQ couple, and I say that, we went to high school together, um, who had adopted a child and who had the hardest time finding a priest to baptize their baby. Mm-hmm. And I remember them coming to me and saying, like, how do we do this? And I asked them, I said, do you desire baptism for your child? And they said, we do. And I said, why within the church? Because the church is going to look at you and say, you're not living according to church teaching. So therefore you can't raise your child according to church teaching, because every day that child's going to look at mom and dad, or in this case, mom and mom, and see that you're not living according to church teaching. And one of, uh, one of their answers has never left my mind. And she said, um, we want our child to know Jesus in the Eucharist just like we have. Mm-hmm. And it broke my heart in that moment to to say, I don't know that you're going to find, I don't, I, and I'm not a canon lawyer. My sister is, she would be the person to have on here, but she's a nun now. So she's not available for podcasts for a few years yet, but it was hard for them. And my heart broke because I thought mm-hmm. the church can't deny sacraments. The church cannot deny baptism to an individual who longs for it. But then the church can also look at this couple and say, but, but we're baptizing a child in a church that you've rejected a core teaching of, which is that you can't be married. And, and so I, I thought of them yesterday when I, I read this document, because what they ended up doing was having their child baptized, I believe, in the Methodist church, uh, which is now where they go and where they found a home in the church. And, and, and I'm very happy that they have a place where they can worship, although I long for them to be united with us in Holy Mother Church and come back to the Eucharist and, and perhaps begin to live that side B lifestyle and recognize the destitute in need of his help, just like I am destitute in need of God's help mm-hmm. in various components of my life. But there's so many people who read this and didn't have a person in their head. They just had these amalgams, an idea, yeah. an idea and and wanted to give a hot take. And, and I, that's just the, the way the machine of church commentary churns. But I think in the days that we begin to unpack this and it begins to be looked at and, and you do have the moments where you're getting New York Times live tweet articles of, of Father Martin going and blessing a couple and saying it gave me great joy to bless them as a couple. And it's like, Father Martin, that's not what the document said. And also like discretion should be used in this. That's what the document said. And as you see some countries say, we're not implementing this and we're ignoring it completely. I think at the heart of it, we need to recognize everything we say about it. Every comment that's made, every tweet that's posted, every podcast that's published, an LGBTQ person who sees that, hears that, mm-hmm. is is real, and that the church is not ignoring them, and therefore we must love them and recognize God's actual grace is available to them 
so that their human relationships may mature. And this is an important line, grow in fidelity to the gospel. Is that blessing an invitation to them to a side B lifestyle? Is that blessing an invitation to them to step away from the ideology of an LGBTQ movement that says this is all you are? Maybe it is. And Mm -hmm. and are we going to ignore that purely for the culture war moment of gay is bad, which has become a chant in our church that the catechism says is not correct. We are called to have love and respect and, and treat people with dignity and walk along their paths of discernment and help them to live the life God has called them to. Maybe this document was just 5,000 words to remind us of that. Well, and I think it's it's exceptionally important for us individually. Mm. When we look at a situation that that gives us pause and we recognize someone out there is not is claiming to be a Catholic and not living to the fullness of what the Catholic Church teaches. To take that phrase and throw it in the mirror and look at yeah. ourselves. Is that and, not all of us? And self-examine and say, okay, yeah. well, uh, you know, I I can get a, a, sp- a specific priest. Uh, I know I can get a specific priest to look at my life and say that everything's hunky-dory. And how does that make me different than all the other people who are splashed across the mm-hmm. headlines, right? Mm-hmm. Um, am I caring for the poor in the way that the church calls me to care for the poor? Am I caring for the world and in, in, in the physical environment and the way that the church is calling me to care for that? Am I all of the things not to, to rank hierarchy or to say one sin is better than another or worse than another, but to say that I can't go forward and receive God's grace without acknowledging that I still am destitute and in need of God's mercy and am in need of growing in fidelity to the gospel. Yeah. I think it's important to note, too, that this document comes after a flurry of writing from the DDF, including notes about transgender individuals can be godparents if they've experienced repentance and are are living a life with the same qualifications for godparents that anybody else would require. Right. And there's been some controversy surrounding that about a statement that I didn't even realize would have been needed concerning single mothers being allowed to receive Holy Communion because there were some priests primarily in Italy who were barring that, saying mm-hmm. it was a cause of scandal. And and now this, and, and maybe we're at a moment in the Francis pontificate, we're at a moment when the DDF is responding to a lot of backlog that has been there for the past couple of years, that's saying we need to see people who are on journeys and walk alongside them. When I saw the single mother document last week and then this on Monday, my mind immediately went to the Sisters of Life in New York who live with women who have found themselves in circumstances and situations where they would be vulnerable to abortion and seek it out. And I thought to myself, you know, our church would be a lot less good if those sisters had said only those women who fit these qualifications. No, no, it's an open door. Do you need us? Because we are here for you. And is that maybe the, the way the church should approach a person in any capacity? Do you need us? Because we're here for you. Well, and and getting back to you, because we are coming up on the fourth Sunday of Advent, followed immediately by Christmas Christ- Day. Yes. <laughs> this is the the uh the invasion of God into mm. human history. Right. And and when at the end of that liturgical cycle, when we have the ascension into heaven. He transfers that bodily response of God's 
indwelling kingdom, he transfers that to us. We are now that body of Christ under mm-hmm. Christ the head who are supposed to be infecting, if we can use that term, yeah. uh, or providing the cure to the infection of the earth by mm-hmm. by making God's presence manifest. And if all we're doing is setting up barriers— uh, Jesus had something very particular to say about people mm-hmm. who tied up heavy burdens but wouldn't enter the door themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Katie, we are out of time here, but I am so grateful for you coming on and, and talking about this very touchy topic and in a very uh, clear way. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. We've been talking again today with Katie McGrady. She's the host of the Katie McGrady Show on the Catholic Channel on Sirius XM. You can find it at Sirius XM Channel 129. If you missed any part of my conversation with Katie, you can go back and listen to it again or share it with your friends over on social media by going over to OutsideTheWalls.com. And there's also an extra segment because each and every week we give extra content to all of those who support the show through Patreon. You can learn more about our Patreon support community over at OutsideTheWalls.com. Click that Patreon link. Now let's turn our attention to our readings from scripture and from church history. That's the sound of the Verbum Library launching up. Verbum helps you read scripture in light of church teaching, putting the magisterium at your fingertips by linking scripture to the catechism, to the fathers and doctors of the church, and so much more. You can learn more at verbum.com. Our reading today from scripture comes from the letter of St. Paul to the Romans, chapter 12. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That reading again comes from the letter of St. Paul to the Romans, and I bring this up specifically because it it highlights a function of blessing that I think is important for us to remember. That here, as we bless those who persecute us, or as we forgive those who have wronged us, when we're asking that God would bless them, we're asking particularly that he would give them his best. And God's best for a person is always reconciling. It's drawing them closer to himself and giving them what is eternally good for them. So it's never uh, a, a It's never wasted to pray God's blessing on someone, even if they seem to be far away from God, even if they are antagonistic towards God, because God's blessing is always something that unites and restores and brings brings healing and brings unity. Our reading today from church history comes from a letter to Diognetus. No man has ever seen God or known him. But God has revealed himself to us through faith, 
by which alone it is possible to see him. God, the Lord and Maker of all things, who created the world and set it in order, not only loved man, but was also patient with him. So he has always been, and is, and will be, kind, good, free from anger, truthful. Indeed, he and he alone is good. He devised a plan, a great and wonderful plan, and shared it only with his son. As long as he preserved this secrecy and kept his own wise counsel, he seemed to be neglecting us, to have no concern for us. But when, through his beloved Son, he revealed and made public what he had prepared from the very beginning, he gave us all at once gifts such as we could never have dreamt of, even sight and knowledge of himself. When God had made all his plans in consultation with his Son, he waited until a later time, allowing us to follow our own whim, to be swept along by unruly passions, to be led astray by pleasure and desire. Not that he was pleased by our sins, he only tolerated them. Not that he approved of that time of sin, he was planning an era of holiness. When we had been shown to be undeserving of life, his goodness was to make us worthy of it. When we had made it clear that we could not enter God's kingdom by our own power, we were to be enabled to do so by the power of God. When our wickedness had reached its culmination, it became clear that retribution was at hand in the shape of suffering and death. The time came then for God to make known his kindness and power. How immeasurable is God's generosity and love. He did not show hatred for us or reject us or take vengeance. Instead, he was patient with us, bore with us, and in compassion took our sins upon himself. He gave his own Son as the price for our redemption, the Holy One to redeem the wicked, the Sinless One to redeem sinners, the Just One to redeem the unjust, the Incorruptible One to redeem the corruptible, the Immortal One to redeem mortals. For what else could have covered our sins but his sinlessness? Where else could we, wicked and sinful as we are, have found the means of holiness except in the Son of God alone? How wonderful a transformation! How mysterious a design! How inconceivable a blessing! The wickedness of the many is covered up in the Holy One, and the holiness of one sanctifies many sinners. That reading again comes from a letter to Diognetus, and what a beautiful meditation this is for us on the Incarnation, on this season of Christmas, but also such an important reminder for us that it is through God's grace and His grace alone that any of us can live lives of holiness. And just to point out that one section again, where else could we, wicked and sinful as we were, have found the means of holiness except in the Son of God alone? It's through seeing the goodness and the beauty of God and of His plan and of His deep love for us that we ever get a vision of what it means to be holy and ever have the ability to live out that holiness. So may we, you and I, live lives 
that reflect that kindness and goodness, that give an example uh, and show the deep love of God so that others may be drawn into that love and empowered to live lives of holiness themselves. That's all the time we have for today. Today's show is brought to you by Phil and Tina Parker and all of those who support the show through Patreon. Go over to OutsideTheWalls.com, click that Patreon link to learn more. And until next week, a blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. This podcast is part of the Spoke Street Network. For more great podcasts, visit Spokestreet.com.